Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And since my clicker is not even working, you guys can pull my list up, which seemed like it was going to go on forever, but today it really will end. And we'll start a new list, I'm sure. Um, I intended these uh, seven things to be about a two-week uh, thing, but you know, different things had uh, entered in that were important, hurricanes, a couple of them that we prayed, spent some time praying through, and, and our assistant pastor, that situation. And at the same time, um, I just think the Lord just wanted us to really uh, kind of marinate in these a little bit. One of the things about the epistles that you may or may not be aware of, but the epistles, you know, they're written by Paul and Peter. Uh, the epistles are very uh, detailed in the sense that doctrine, application, uh, God wants us to really get our arms around every single thing that's written in the epistles. And this is generally almost entirely true of the Gospels as well. You would say everything Jesus taught would fall, fall in that category too. Yes, but even in the Gospels, there's a couple of chapters where it's uh, things like a genealogy, right? Uh, a genealogy is not the same prescriptive teaching as the epistles, although the genealogy is very important because it authenticates the arrival of Christ, uh, the birth line of Christ, things like that. But when you think about the epistles, what separates them from other passages of Scripture is every single verse written by the apostles were written to the church to know how to walk. And that's what we've been looking at uh, in this section, walking in wisdom. Let's reread the text uh, one final time, and then, you know, as we move into uh, the next section, by the way, we'll be moving into marriage and the picture of Christ in the church. And we'll, we'll talk about uh, the application really in marriage as well as the application of us as the church. But let's look one final time at verses 15 through 21 as we finish this out today. Starting in verse 15, see that, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, Paul, in these verses that we've been looking at, he gives practical and prescriptive guidance for a fulfilled life and a life that fulfills the will of God. We don't want only a fulfilled life. We do want a fulfilled life. Everyone's looking for a fulfilled life in some measure. But we want a life that's fulfilled by the Lord, that brings honor to the Lord, and pleases the Lord. And so by way of review for just a second... Uh, the first couple things we looked at in the last couple weeks. One, we looked at circumspect. We looked at that Greek word, akribos, accurately and diligently. Christian, are you walking diligently? Are you walking diligently in the application of that truth in your life? We looked, secondly, at redeeming time. We're redeeming time this morning. The Lord is having us redeem this time. Now, there's a couple of meanings that we looked at. There is a price to pay to recover that time. The enemy wants to take our time, 
God wants to use it for his glory. We uh, looked at the fact that we're to make sacred use of our time, all of our time. Our time is precious, isn't it? We're only given so much time, and we want to use it for the Lord. And so we're here today, and we want to use that time for the Lord. We looked at being aware of God's will. When we follow the word of God, we will be in the will of God. Isn't that great to know? When we follow the word of God, we'll be in the will of God. And then we looked at to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Our courage, our peace, our joy is to be found being filled by the Spirit, not through our mind-altering things that, uh, that the world would offer, substances, alcohol. We looked at that, being drunk with wine, those things. None of those things are going to really fill us. And then the next thing we want to look at is the Word, Worship and song, and just kind of encouraging one another. You ever heard of Fanny Crosby? She was one of the greatest hymn writers of all time. She was blind. Uh, she wrote many hymns, over 10,000, I believe. And she wrote one song called Blessed Assurance. It's, it's perhaps her most famous song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. But it goes on. And the, the refrain says, this is my story. This is my what? Song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And Paul says here, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Paul gives here a trio of connected items that give strength and peace to us individually, I don't know about you, but I need strength. But also collectively, we need it together. And the emphasis here is that speaking and singing is not just speaking and singing anything. A lot of people are saying stuff these days. A lot of songs are being written these days. But they don't necessarily minister. It's not speaking and saying anything, but things that come directly from the Scriptures or from Scriptural truth. And the exhortation here is to be encouraging and strengthening one another, actively doing this, participating with one another. By the way, you can't participate with each other unless you get together. And you can't get together unless you say, I'm going to purpose to get together. Some, someone has to say, I'm going to come and be involved in your life. And you have to say, uh, Vice versa, I'm going to be involved in your life. You had to physically make a choice to be here this morning. Now, someone may have drugged you here. Teens fall into that category. But most of you that adults choose to come and you were here because you say, I need to be there. I need to be with the body of Christ. I need to get together. And, and by the way, we love when our teens want to get to know the Lord too. They want to come and worship and, and that's a blessed thing. But the emphasis uh, that Paul's saying is that this is, this is together, speaking to one another, encouraging one another, actively participating uh, with one another, and doing the same when you're by yourself. You still have to preach to yourself the things of the Lord. That's why Psalm 1 says to meditate on the things of the Lord. When I don't have anyone else to encourage me, I always have the Holy Spirit. Amen? We always have the presence of the Lord. So we do this by ourselves as well. But of these three things, let's take a look at them. 
First off, he says, and speaking to one another, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So let's look at the psalms. Um, a psalm, uh, scripture, or instrumental chords literally from the psalms. If you look at, like, for example, the songs of ascents uh, that they would sing as they would head up to the temple, they would literally sing the psalms as they would approach Jerusalem. And those songs are, uh, the, the psalms are encouraging, but we, knowing the scriptures, knowing that the psalms are synonymous with scripture, uh, not all scripture is psalms, but all the psalms are scripture, if they're, if they're in the word of God anyway. We should be speaking and sharing those things that build each other up, that strengthen, that give support to one another, and that comes from the word of God. How many times, have you ever had where you were just having a day, and it wasn't going right, and you were down, you were discouraged, you wished you were anywhere but at your workplace or wherever you were at, or uh, you wished you were on some beach with white sand and aqua blue waters or something like that, something that you would take your mind, and then someone sends you an encouraging verse. And you're not at the beach, and you weren't carried away to palm trees and all that other stuff, but someone sends you a verse and say, God put this verse on my mind, I'm sending it to you, and you send it back. Boy, you don't know how much I needed that at that moment. Why? Because the Word of God does something that even the physical realm can't do. It goes all the way to the soul level, doesn't it? It touches us in a place that you can't get with a vacation. Nothing wrong with that. You know, we need those times away. We need those down times and rest. We've talked about that uh, and the redeeming the time. But when it comes to things that really nourish us, Paul says, speaking in other in psalm. In other words, scripture. You don't want me to give you, you know, a long article from the New York Times when you already are bogged down and feel one little verse can lift your spirits. And so he says, speaking to these things, sharing with them with one another, things that strengthen. We have to have relationships. We have to come together. We have to get to know one another so we'd even know what to encourage. So what's going on in your life? What are the things that God is doing in your life? What are the things that your prayer requests? What are you battling with? That's why we get together. We have men's prayer and we have ladies' prayer. Why? So we can hear what's going on in your life. Now that I know, hey, I, you're, in, you're in this situation. You're in a job search. You're going through this in a relationship. I can then, when the Spirit brings to mind in prayer, hey, send this person a note. It even gets more specific in the encouragement because we have that knowledge. Those of you that are married, you've got to have communication so you know, how do I encourage? What am I praying for? How can I encourage the person that God has put in my life? And we have to be in the Word to share Scripture, don't we? If we're not in the Word, we wouldn't know what to share. But the more we're in the Word, God will just bring it at the right time, the right verse, a right psalm, maybe a song. Sometimes a quote from a saint that's gone before us that reinforces a scriptural truth. But face-to-face -face is very important. Uh, we can't neglect that. In this day and age, we've got social media and say, well, I can keep up with you with Facebook. That's not a bad thing. I use it, but it's not all things. It can be part of the way we communicate, but it can't be the only way. We can't have only digital communications, though text emails, a phone call, all those things are very good way to share and communicate with one another. We literally have to gather together as well. 
God said six days shall a man rest. Seventh day would be a day of worship. But not only that, God called it a holy convocation. It means people have to come together, have to get together. And so we have to make this an emphasis in our life to say, I'm going to share in the lives of others. And then what God is showing me, I can share and encourage them. Vice versa, what they are being encouraged in the Lord, they'll be able to share in my life. Now, Scripture is the foundation here. But music also plays a big role in lifting us and strengthening us. Wouldn't you agree with this? That music plays a big role in our spirit, uh, in the way that we actually draw into the presence of the Lord. The early church, they regularly sang the songs. We talked about that when the children of Israel, when they would go to the temple, they would go up into Jerusalem because Jerusalem sits at a high place. 26, 25, 2600 feet had come up. The temple was there where you could see it in the distance. They would sing these songs. They would sing at the temple. The families would sing the psalms. But the early church also sang these same songs uh, that were from the psalm. And they likely would have sang. So if you think of like the, the disciples getting saved, they come and follow Jesus. They would have known some of these psalms from the time they were children because they were already being sung in the practice of the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and worshiping the Lord. So they would just transfer that into the church. The early church, the original early church, was almost all Jewish. And then Gentiles started coming in. And eventually, because the Gentile population is much larger than the Jewish population, there's more Gentiles in the church than there are Jewish people in the church. Same is true in our church. We have several Jewish families here, but there's just more Gentile people. Right? Israel was a small nation. But they would have taught these psalms in the church, and they didn't. So Paul's referencing here, uh, these psalms, many were already being sung in the temple, and then they were brought into the body of Christ and used in the church. Um, Paul also mentions hymns. These were not the hymns that, that you and I are familiar with. They're not ones written by Isaac Watts and Fanny Crosby and, and all these Philip Bliss and the many different hymn writers. Uh, that, we, that we would know today. But biblical scholars believe that these hymns, when Paul mentions the words hymns here, they were probably written to exalt Jesus Christ. Songs that were written specifically about Jesus Christ. Now he's foreshadowed, remember Jesus foreshadowed in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh. He's foreshadowed in the Old Testament. But his name in the New Testament, Jesus Christ. His name, Yeshua, all of the things that would come with the death, burial, and resurrection. He's fully revealed in his first coming, right? And so a lot of the hymns, scholars believe, so you have psalms which were already written, right? They were already in the, in the Bible. But then comes the early church, and they're like, hey, we see Jesus foreshadowed, but the scriptures, Isaiah 53 and things like that, they use terminology like he was a lamb, what if we write songs that exalt his name and exalt the resurrection? And so these songs started to be written about Jesus specifically. And so Paul references them, psalms and hymns. And lastly, he says spiritual songs. We have these spiritual songs. What were they? Well, they were likely, again, biblical scholars believe that these spiritual songs are a third type of music. So the psalms written in the scripture, hymns written about Jesus, and these spiritual songs, they likely conveyed personal testimonies 
of God's grace and in their lives. Things that uh, they experience. Mercy, forgiveness, truths about salvation, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, do you see that we actually have all those same types of music even this day, don't we? We still have, we still have songs that are just Scripture. We have hymns that are written about the life of Christ. And we have many songs, probably a lot of which here on Christian Radio, is written about people's experiential uh, walk of, man, God's grace and giving me strength and things like that. And so you see these three different uh, works of the Lord in music and what God has done. Now, the practice of worshiping God together in song had been given by the Lord long before in every age and will exist in every age to come. Music from the Lord to the Lord about the Lord will never go away. We see in the Old Testament with Israel in uh, 1 Chronicles 15, 16, listen to what it says. Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals by raising their voice with resounding joy. So in the Old Testament, David gathers all these singers together. You know David was a man of music, right? Not only did he write all these musical songs and songs, but he played the harp, right? He played the harp to calm uh, the spirit of Saul at times, right? It would calm Saul's spirit. And by the way, some music really does calm us. One of the things I like about classical music is there are no words, right? Um, heavy metal with no words just doesn't do it. <laughs> it is not going to calm your spirit. Someone's guitar, that just doesn't, you know, I know it's, say, well, that stringed instrument doesn't do the same thing. It will really wire you up, if anything else. So um, if they do that to amp people up, you notice that uh, at, at football stadiums, they play heavy metal to get people fired up. But when you're trying to calm the heart, something soothing. I mean, again, some of the classical music, because it's just strings and just harps and things like that, has a very calming effect. But that in and of itself isn't necessarily spiritual, Amen. There is, there is a value there because God created sound and God created these things and we know that the stringed instruments were used by the children of Israel and have been used down through the ages. But song that comes from the Lord has just a special place and we'll take a look at that. But all throughout time, uh, God was using the ministry of music to soothe the hearts of the people but also bring them into the presence of the Lord. At the end of the Passover meal, which we call... The Last Supper, Jesus closed and they sang what? A hymn, which was really, in that specific case, one of the psalms. It was, it was the tradition at the end of the Passover meal that you would sing uh, these, uh, these songs and these hymns uh, to close out the Passover, and that's what Jesus did there. Uh, in the future, think about heaven. Where will music, what, what will music, uh, will, what role will it play, I should say, uh, in heaven, well, in Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 15, we see the saints of God worshiping before the throne. In what? Song. Singing the song of Moses going all the way back. And so God will bring all the works the Lord done over time into some centralized songs that we'll all sing together. And you won't have to see a screen and I wonder what the words are. I don't know the words of this thing. Like, you'll just know them. Wouldn't that be great? 
We might even sing in multiple languages. That'd be great. All of a sudden, we know different things, and I don't know how God's going to do it, but we're going to sing in heaven. Music is integral to the worship of God. It doesn't replace. Now, understand, whenever you see a church that says, hey, we're going to make worship the number one focus here. We're going to make worship like this, and we're going to make the teaching of the Word of God like this. Now you have a problem, too. Worship of music is integral. It's complementary. It does not replace the Word of God. It does not replace prayer. It does not replace sharing our faith. It is complementary to these things. Amen? But it doesn't replace. The Word of God is always central. Jesus, when he would go in the temple, he taught Paul, when he'd go in the synagogue, he taught. Paul didn't say, hey, I brought the worship band. I'm not going to teach at all. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, hey, I've got these 12 disciples. We've got a whole 12-piece band here. I don't have anything to say, but we're going to just, we're going to fire you all out with worship you ain't never seen before. When you all are done, your hands are going to be so high, you're going to be higher than a kite. But a lot of churches are taking something that God has given that is important and replacing what's most important. The Word of God is central. Central. Always central. Jesus is, is central. He is the Word. It's Jesus, the Word, prayer. And worship is important. It's complementary. And as long as the Word has its right place, worship will always have its right place as well. But it doesn't replace, but employs these other things. Good worship music will employ the Word. It'll employ prayer. It will bring us into places that reflect the truth and nature of God as expressed in His Word. Music in general, as I said earlier, even some secular music, it can lift our spirits. You ever, you know, you, know, you, you turn it on, uh, a classic radio, that if you're from the 70s, some song from the 70s will hit you, and it'll take you back like you were immediately wearing your cut-off jean shorts, driving in that 75 Mustang, Right? That's the way they dressed back in the 70s. I, I remember, because I had cut-off jean shorts. I was a kid, but... And if you're from the 80s, you know, it immediately takes you back to that little mullet I had and all that kind of stuff, and it immediately takes you back to when people were... This, this People putting color in their hair is not new. This was happening in the 80s and stuff. And so uh, a song can actually bring a smile to your face and take you straight back. It also can take you to bad places, too. But it can take you back in an instant. But it actually can temporarily... Even secular music uh, can, can kind of lift your spirit a little bit, can kind of put you in a better mood. Uh, but only worship music literally feeds the soul, calms the spirit. The secular music, you know, it's kind of like uh, eating a stick of chewing gum. You know, it, it's great for a couple of minutes, and all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> the first two minutes that Wrigley Spearmint gum is great. Then after that, it's like, why am I chewing this, you know? You've got to eat a whole pack of it or something. Hits the taste buds, but it doesn't last that long. And so that's, that's kind of the general impact of secular music. Um, it doesn't even, it, that's why hymns, hymns minister the same today as they did 500 years ago. Whereas some songs, they, they get old and put on some k album, you know, with every other ballad that ever, ever was produced. Sacred music, though. Sacred music, and I'm talking about music 
that's not necessarily inspired scripture, but was inspired by the scriptures, sacred music. It ministers and nourishes. It's more, instead of a stick of chewing gum, it's more like a tall glass of water when you're really, really thirsty. When you're really, really thirsty, you don't want a piece of apple pie. You want nourishing water. And it, and it nourishes in a way that other things can't do. Cold glass of water, it seems so simple, and yet it is preferred. Isn't that amazing? The simplicity of the things of God are actually preferred by our soul. Uh, our mind gets warped and thinks otherwise, but the soul knows what you really need is the simplicity of God. And that's what music that actually comes from the Lord and lifts up the Lord it does for us. When you're thirsty, you need something deeper. And this is how God designed it. God designed that the worship music that he gave, remember Satan originally was kind of the leader of the choir, if you will, in heaven, or the musical director, uh, and he still uses music today in a bad way. But God uses music in a way that brings us into his presence, focuses on him, God designed that it would be complementary to all the other ways, the word, prayer, praise, all these things. God would use this kind of music in our collective worship to encourage one another. Hey, you should listen to a song. Send a clip. It really helps us. Jehoshaphat in uh, Second Chronicles, uh, he, he recognized something that God also uh, shows us is that it was important to the Lord that when the word was central and the people had prayed, that a lot of times they would finish off by singing, by singing the Lord. And Jehoshaphat found that worship, it also drives out the enemy, worship music, singing and praising and making melody to the Lord in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 22. And we did, we've done this when we go on mission trips. We'll just stop and sing. We, we, we say, this will set ambushes, and this is what it says. Second Chronicles 20, 22, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Sometimes God would say, hey, say a short prayer, open some scripture, read a couple of verses in the Psalms, read something from Isaiah, uh, be ministered by the word, and then close it and say, Lord, I'm just going to sing and praise you now. We have that, by the way, we have things that other people didn't have before. We can actually put in these things called head, headphones and just say, Lord, I'm just going to sing for a few minutes. And it really does set ambushes against the enemy. When you come in here and you feel stale and you feel like you're still in the middle of the week and the worship starts to, you start to focus on the words if the words really are honoring the Lord, and they are here, and you say, Lord, use these things to draw me into your presence. And it should activate you can be praying at the same time you're singing because God will actually stir one with the other. Very important. But again, we are to do these things together, encouraging one another. And Paul says that, that we should have a culture of worship of the Lord, a culture of investing in one another through Scripture, through music, and just that mutual encouragement of one another. Let's take a look at uh, our last two things. Um, the next one he says here, Verse 20, after he talks about the, the value of music and worship there, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I've titled this Constantly Giving Thanks. Constantly Giving Thanks. You've heard me say, and I didn't coin it, but I like it, 
if we have time to worry, we have time to pray. True? If we have time to worry, we have time to pray. And similarly, likewise, if you will, if we have time to complain, we have time to give thanks. Takes the same amount of time, same amount of words, same amount of energy to give thanks. So we have a choice, right? And by the way, only one of those two options actually works or does anything for us. How much does complaining do for us? You want to stay in the wilderness a little longer? How about 40 years? Like all, you, know, you know the amazing thing? 40 years all because of so just some initial complaining, initial unbelief, initial disbelief. Instead, say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I thank you that you will. I thank you that you are, that you're able. And by the way, by, uh, song, we just uh, talked a little bit about music there, but song and giving of thanks, they actually go hand in hand. We see this in Scripture. Um, in the book of Nehemiah, at the dedication of the rebuilding of the wall, two choirs were assembled. They had two choirs assembled for the rebuilding of the wall there, or, well, the dedication of the rebuilt wall. <laughs> And the choirs were called the Thanksgiving Choirs. That's the exact name they were given. They were called the Thanksgiving Choirs. It would be a cool name if we ever had a choir, the Thanksgiving Choir. It's always good to not make up new stuff, just say, hey, if God already came out with this, you know it's good, right? The Thanksgiving Choirs. And giving of thanks, it's embedded in all of our worship, all the forms of worship. Worship is our entire life. Our entire life is to be worship. But in all the forms of worship, thanksgiving is embedded in it. It's to be in our words, in our prayer life, the worship of song, our thought life. It's honoring to the Lord that we give thanks, but not only that, it's essential to our well-being. Did you know that? Did you know a lot of people their lives are a mess because they've never learned to give thanks. They don't even know that's part of what's meant. Now, the first thing is you've got to come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But it wouldn't stop there. Once you come, even Jesus says, didn't I heal ten? Only one of you has come back to say thanks. Right? Where's the, where's the other nine? A life of thanksgiving is Jesus doesn't want us to just come to Christ and be saved, but then enter into the fullness of life with thanksgiving. In Psalm 100, verse 4, it says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. His name. Blessing his name does what? Well, it takes our eyes off of ourselves, and our eyes are on ourselves a lot, aren't they? They're on ourselves for what's in it for me, worried, fearful, all of these things. I mean, these are, these are natural responses of our flesh, our wants and our worries. But the Lord says, put your eyes on me. Give thanks. Enter into my courts and bless my name. A sound mind and peace can never, let me say this again, never, never, ever, a sound mind and peace will never be found without a heart of thanks. Every psychiatrist in America, every doctor, everything, they can prescribe everything they want, but if the person on the other end 
doesn't know that God has created us to give thanks, you will, you'll just, it's like a cat chasing its tail. There's no remedy for our spirit being out of sorts that thanksgiving isn't part of the solution. I'm not saying it's the only solution because coming to Christ is the first and greatest. But it comes together. The Lord says, now that you've known that, you know, the verse says, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Once you know that he's good, you have a heart of thanks. If you don't think he's good, there's not going to be a heart of thanks. Once you know, not think, but know, you've tasted it yourself. Say, I know he's good. Someone says, oh, your, God is, your God is an angry God. Your God wants you to keep these ten list of rules that are really annoying. Say, which one do you hate? You wouldn't want anyone to murder your family, right? Well, other than that one. But the rest of them, well, what about the other one? Lying. Cheat. No, God is a God of goodness because he wants peace and rest for all of us. And then we, uh, we learn his nature and we're thankful. Blessing his name takes our eyes off of ourselves and puts them back rightly on him. And that, that brings us to a place of peace and rest. You know the verse in Philippians 4, 6, Paul writes the church, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. By the way, don't feel incredible guilt or shame. Spiritual warfare, I never knew about anxiety until I became a pastor. I'm here to tell you. I never even, people that struggle with, I never even knew about it until I entered into the deeper I've gone in ministry the enemy will attack you with fears. He'll attack you with all kinds of stuff. You must say, well, that is, is that just me? Is that, no, sometimes it's not. Paul said he had a minister of, he had a, a messenger from Satan buffeting him. And he understood it. Daniel, he was praying an angel wouldn't come because it got stopped in spiritual warfare. So understand that you might have things that enter your heart and mind. You say, wow, where is this coming from? A lot of times it's spiritual warfare. Sometimes God may be saying, hey, you've got some sin that I need you to deal with and get that at the... But sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's truly spiritual warfare. But either way, what does Paul say? Anxious for nothing. Everything, by prayer, start talking to God. Start praising the Lord with thanksgiving. You know, you start thanking God for trials, the enemy has to run. He thought the trial would destroy you. You say, well, I thank you for this trial, Lord. I thank you for this trial. Even when you don't mean it at first, just say it anyway. <laughs> well, then that means I'm just being fake. You're not being fake with God. You're being faithful. It's not fake. It's faith. Hey, Lord, I thank you for this. I thank you for this. I thank you for this. And after a while, you start to mean it. Because faith comes by hearing or speaking it. And then we see the activeness of that faith the Lord says, now you're doing what I said. You're being thankful. Now your requests are going up like a sweet aroma. And God says, I'm going to come to your defense. Start singing and praising. Whether we feel like it or not, he's worthy. Amen? He's worthy of thanksgiving. It says in Leviticus 7.12, it's called the sacrifice of thanksgiving. You know what that means? Sometimes we don't feel like giving thanks. Lord, thank you so much that I was fired from my job. This is awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that the car broke down today. This is excellent. I'm really enjoying this, right? Thank you that both kids are throwing up all over the house. 
right? That's not the way you feel. But he said in all things. And it's an amazing thing that when we start to actually say it, even at, I'm telling you, your feelings will not feel like it. You'll start to say it, and all of a sudden, you can't describe it to other people. God changes your view from the heavenly realm. And all of a sudden, you realize, well, this isn't my home anyway. This is testing ground for me getting ready for heaven, for God conforming me into the image of Christ. And Jonah 2.9, you know, Jonah, poor guy. He hadn't learned to say thanks for a while. Thank you that I get to go preach to evil Ninevites. No, thank you. I'm going this way, right? Goes the other way. Ends up in a fish. That's not a great place. If you smell of seafood isn't good, it's really worse than the belly of a fish. He says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. Sacrifice to you the voice of thanksgiving. You do not feel like giving thanks when you're in pitch black dark. And you're in the bottom of the sea. You those of you that don't really like the ocean, you'd really hate it if you were in pitch black dark at the bottom of the ocean. And he said, I'll sacrifice right now and give thanks anyway. A lot of times we have to learn the hard way to give thanks, but when we learn it, we'll start to apply it in every situation. And this is why Paul says in Colossians 4.2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So when you start to pray in the morning, you pray in the afternoon, you pray at different times, always add thanksgiving. He says every time. Well, you mean every time we pray? Yes, every time. Say, Lord, thank you for reminding me to pray because I know I'm not smart enough to even remember. Thank you for just reminding me of that scripture. Thank you for putting this person in my life. There's always something to be giving thanks, but we have to be diligent in it, vigilant in it. So, should I be thankful in my thought life, prayer life, things I say, how I sing? Yes, all of them. Thanksgiving enters into every bit of it. And last, one last thing here. Notice the source of our thanks. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, thankful that we have been adopted by God as our Father and thankful that it was by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, if you forget everything else, if it's not going your way and things are not going well and you're in a, in a bad place, you feel like you're being tossed in every different direction, you can remember, hold on, time out. God's still my father and Jesus is still on the throne and he bought me with his blood. And that'll, that'll recenter us. Which brings us to this last verse, verse 21. Paul finishes with a verse that might, might seem a little bit of a um, different ending than maybe you and I would have written, but he says, Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Last part of our text. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And I've titled this, Dying to Ourselves. And that really kind of sums up what we're called to do in life, isn't it? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Dying to ourselves. We don't like to die to ourselves, do we? That gets in the way of giving thanks. That gets in the way of singing when we don't feel like it. That gets in the way of a lot of things. It gets in the way of redeeming time. We want our own time. God says, give it to me. He says, no, I want it. All of these things in this list involve dying to ourselves. Ultimately, Christian, brother and sister, all of our submission, all of our submission is to the authority of God. It's to the will of God. And it's to the goodness of God. Do you believe that? Ultimately, all of our submission is to the authority of God. Is he, is he really in charge or not? 
Is our next breath coming from him or coming from us? Think about that. I'm, I'm asking a literal question. Is your next breath coming from you or coming from God? I guarantee it's coming from God. It's the whole time we've been here, millions around the world died in this one hour. Every breath comes from God. The will of God, his determined will, as well as his desired will, that comes from the Lord, and that's perfect. That's why Jesus said, thy will be done. Thy will be done. We have to really believe that. Lord, if it's your will, then I'm going to die to my will. That's a great trade, by the way, because our will is quite tainted. His will is perfect. And the goodness of God, everything God does is good. Jesus said there's no one good but God. Of course, he was revealing that he himself was God. The goodness of God. We want to taste it and see it, but we have to believe first in his authority and his will. But if we can submit to the commands of God, then submitting to one another will follow rather naturally. Amen? If we can submit first to God, we can submit one another. If I'm submitted to God, I don't care anymore so much about being right as about being reconciled. Right? We've got a whole country that's worried about being right. By the way, there's only one that's right, and that's Jesus. He's right, and if we submit to him, the reconciliation, the healing, all those things will follow. And I don't really, you know, I'm not going to debate forever, even with other, you know, Paul talked about even Christian sects will rise up within each other, uh, competing, you know, this is better than this, and this worship style is the best, and this way, no. God has different cultures around the world, different ways of doing things around the world. None are higher or more esteemed than the other. They're just the different flavors that God has placed in humanity. And when we work together, uh, it's, it's not this gift is better than this gift, and well, my talent is more important than your talent. We talked about this Thursday night in our, in our men's fellowship. I, you know, we're talking about um, in the book of James and the fact that um, we give preference to one another and we have to come with a heart of humility. You know, I asked uh, Tawan and all the men, I was like, what would happen if the entire worship team was only in it for themselves? There'd be no harmony in the music, would there? It would be like America's Got Talent going at the same time. <laughs> Dogs flipping, people singing, right? All kinds of stuff going on at the same time. Like, I can't even keep up with this. And, and that's what it said in the book of James. It brings what? Confusion. Just looks like a mess. But the Lord, Paul's like, the walk of wisdom is important for you and me individually, but it's critically important for a whole group of people to walk in harmony. Because if one says, well, I'm going this way, well, I'm going this way, I'm going this way. God wants to bring us into the submission of him. And by the way, Jesus won't lead us in 50 different directions. He leads us in one direction, right? A unified team, a unified family. You want your family to be unified? Submit to the Lord first, mom and dad, and it teaches the kids to submit to you. But if the parents aren't submitted to God, well, the kids won't see the submission necessary in their own life. But if we're submitted to the Lord, it's easy to submit. And by the way, marriages, when we get into marriage, they get a lot better when both parties are submitted to Jesus. Amen? Because then say, you know what? You like the Chinese food? Okay. We'll go with that. Just some of the things that people get into battles about, not so important. But the backdrop here of all this, he says, 
submitting to one another in the fear of God, the backdrop is that we would have a fear of the Lord, not a dread of God, but an awe of the Lord, a respect of the Lord, an appreciation of the Lord, an acknowledgement that he is the one that gives us our marching orders, that respect and that desire to please him. And in doing so, we'll desire to die to our own wants and preferences for the will of the Lord, but also for others. You know, Paul said he was willing to give up eating meat if it, would know, if it wouldn't stumble anybody, if it would bring greater maturity, if it would bring people. What would you be willing to give up so that another Christian might grow in the Lord? Right? He wrote in Philippians 2.3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, each esteem others better than themselves. Can you imagine our country if everyone considered everyone else better than themselves? Wow. But that's the way it's supposed to be in the family of God. I have to consider your needs actually more important to myself, at least equal, loving your brother as yourself. And we sure care about ourselves, right? Then we start esteeming others, say, you know what? You matter a lot to God. And I want to be there to die to what's important to me. You know, we see, we've had times when, when it's really crowded in here and I see the men give up their seat for someone who's visiting. That's the right thing to do. Give up the seat. Give up the place. The fear of the Lord, though, we'll close with this. The fear of the Lord really encompasses all of these things because the fear of the Lord is to believe in the Lord, right? And say, Lord, your ways are faithful and true. And if you look at that list and say, boy, what would happen if I really walked in all seven of those things? It transformed your life. Transform others' lives. It transformed us as a uh, family of God. Uh, I believe that we've only just begun to see what God wants to do in this church, what God wants to do in your individual life. The fear of the Lord to me, you ever seen when horses race, Kentucky Derby and stuff, what do they put on the horses? And you know what happens? You know, horses, they get wigged out by dumb things like horse flies and stuff. They put these blinders on them, and they can now run and haul. God wants you and I to be able to run the race with endurance. And a lot of times, what keeps us from running is we're looking in all different directions. Maybe this will make me happy. Maybe this will make me happy. Maybe this will work. Maybe this will work. And God says, the fear of the Lord will bring you into focus. It'll bring everything else, and you'll start to see that all this other stuff is actually not peace-giving, it's not life-giving, it's not joy-giving, it is just laborious weight. And they take all the weight off the horse, and they just do this, and that horse is happy running. See when they're finished? They, they seem to like the roses put around them and stuff. <laughs> the fear of the Lord, it keeps our focus. It removes all the distractions. It keeps us looking forward, and it helps us become victorious.